Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, really good to be sharing with you this morning. Um, um, we're continuing our sweep through the Bible at quite a fast pace, getting a high-level view of how God is at work um, with and through his people. Um, so, and so far, we've looked at how God made the world and started his relationship with mankind. We've seen covenant himself to people, starting with one man, Abraham. And we've traced the history of God with his people through the rescue from Egypt, the return to Canaan, um, the time of the judges when we looked at Ruth and Naomi. And then last week, Steve brought us to the time when Israel wanted a king to be like the other nations um, instead of being committed to a loving God and being different from the other nations. And eventually, God let them have a king. Um, Israel's second king, King David, was probably the high point, the high watermark in the story of the kings. Because um, after his son Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Israel were ruled for close to 400 years by many more kings who did not follow God than the few did. Many promoted the worship of idols, borrowed from other nations, and that's where we join the story today. Because alongside the kings, God was speaking to his people through prophets. God knew that there would be kings who would not lead Israel and Judah to live up to the covenant and fall away from their relationship with God. And they would not live up to the responsibility of being God's people on earth. So he appointed prophets to speak to the people on his behalf. They encouraged Israel. They warned Israel. They spoke out against Israel's enemies. They, at times they warned of possible judgment, always with the hope that Israel or her enemies would repent and turn back to God. The prophets were not always well received. Usually they had a pretty tough kick. Some of them had to flee from angry kings and as the New Testament reveals, some of them were killed for their devotion and their faithfulness to God. And in the middle of this time of the prophets, we're going to look at just one specific one. He went by the name Hosea. His calling was a little out of the ordinary, actually a lot out of the ordinary. Because not only was he called to speak to Israel, the words God would give him, God called him to live out an allegory of what being a God to a faithless and rebellious people was like by, here's a spoiler alert, by marrying a wife who would be unfaithful to him. So enough for me, let's read um, from uh, Hosea. We'll, we'll read chapter one. So the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jewash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Diblon, and she received and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Rumah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. And after she had weaned Loruma, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, for 
for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader, and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. God called Hosea, a tough calling, to marry a wife who would be unfaithful to him, who would have adulterous affairs and who would have children through those affairs. God calls him to do that because he wanted to show Israel that they were being unfaithful to God through worshipping idols and not living as his covenant people. And that's what Hosea did. Much as he may have wanted to protest, he did what God asked. Hosea marries Gomer and has a child with her who he calls Jezreel, the name of a town where there'd been a massacre that God was unhappy about. And the name would be a warning that there was judgment coming for that massacre. Perhaps it's a little bit like a Scottish independence supporter calling a child Culloden, or a Black Lives Matter activist calling a child Minneapolis. And then Gomer has two more children, which do not seem to be Hosea's, but children from Gomer's affairs. They're called Loruma and Loami, which mean not my people, and not sorry, not loved, and not my people. They're appalling names to give children. Um, Hosea is broadcasting the fact that these children are not his, because that's his calling, to tell Israel what they're doing to God by living it out in his own life. Now let's take a moment before we think about his message to Israel to think about Hosea himself, because this seems a very hard call, to call him to a marriage and a family that was going to cause him so much heartache, humiliation and pain. And there's no getting away from it, that was tough. But what God is doing with Hosea is sharing his heart with him. He's drawing Hosea into a very close relationship where he shares the pain in his heart of what it's like to be a God to a faithless people. He's preparing Hosea to deliver this message and in doing so drawing them into a really close relationship. Let's get back to Hosea and those awful children's names. Names that go right to the heart of God's covenant with Israel. Right back to the covenant he made with Abraham, which is repeated. We've seen it repeated each time the covenant is reiterated that Israel would be Yahweh's people and Yahweh would be their God. What God, through these children's names, what God is saying to Israel is, How can I love you any longer? You don't behave like my people. I made a covenant with you, and if you live by that covenant, your corporate life together would look like my kingdom. But you've broken my covenant. You've worshipped idols. The nation is full of injustice and corruption. You're indistinguishable from the nations around you. It's a harsh message. And the point of prophecy like this is to cause a change. Because what God wants is for Israel to return to him to love him, to behave like his covenant people, to listen to him again. Yes, it's a warning, but it's a call to repent, 
to turn back to God again. And that brings the story to us. We are God's people. We live in that blessing of the new covenant that Jesus established. We are the bride of Christ. Are we a faithful bride? I think the lesson of Hosea, this first chapter of Hosea, is that our moments of unfaithfulness, the times when we stray, we can begin to take too lightly because we know God is faithful to forgive. And that is true. He is faithful to give, to forgive. But today we have a reminder from Hosea that most times when we don't fully live as God's people, cut him deeply, as deeply as someone whose marriage partner is unfaithful to him, with all the pain and betrayal that that brings. As I've been reflecting and praying about this, I wonder that there's perhaps three ways that we can tend to do this to God. The first one, perhaps it's obvious, is when we sin. It's not a fashionable word these days. We tend to shy away from it because of how it's been used or perhaps even overused by a previous generation. Sin is when we act in ways inconsistent with who we are as God's children. When we don't live by the Spirit, but out of our own selfish wants, and so grieve the Holy Spirit. There is a, a list of the seven deadly sins. I'm sure you've heard of it. I'm not sure of the origins of it. As I was growing up, we felt a little bit like pantomime list. The older I get, the more I wish I could get rid of every last vestige of all of them. When what we're called to as Christians is to live by the Spirit and to display the life that Jesus has for us to live in love and humility for justice, for peace, to forgive, to help the poor. When we don't, we're being unfaithful to God and we betray the spirit that lives in us. The second way that we can do this to God is that we can sometimes fail to give God glory. During the worship um, this morning, um, on the recording, you may have noticed Sarah couple of times um, spontaneously was crying out to give God glory um, and sometimes that's not our first reaction. One of Gomer's tendencies we read about in chapter 2 um, is that Hosea had bought gifts for Gomer and at times she claimed back to Hosea that her other lovers had bought those gifts for her just as God gave Israel rain when it was needed, abundant harvests, peace from her enemies, Israel then went and thanked idols for those things. Do we do the equivalent? Do we at times call the spiritual gifts that God has given us our, our personalities? And do the material things and the wealth that God has, has, has given us and blessed us with? Can we call them the results of our hard work? Or if God protects us, do we call them our life's choices? I, I had an example of this a few years ago. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. I think it was maybe 11 or 12 years ago. I'd been off cafe for a number of years at that stage. And I had a project coming for work. And myself and a colleague had a planning meeting for the project. Um, for some reason, 
I don't remember why now. I had a coffee. I caffeinated a full fat coffee, caffeinated coffee, the morning of that meeting. And the meeting went really well. We mapped out the stages of progress we would need to make, different sites that we would need to get involved, how many staff at each site, how the training was going to go, how many new staff you'd have to train up in the techniques and technology. It was a really good meeting. Um, and much of the later success of the project could be traced back to what we agreed and what we decided in that meeting. So much so that afterwards, I had told a few people that I was back on cafe. I had a coffee and it helped my work so much. And then a week later, as I was walking from where I parked my car to the office, um, my practice at that time was to pray um, on that walk that, that God would bless me in my work, would bless my work. And he spoke to me. Um, and he said, you pray this every day. Why did you not think I had answered your prayer rather than assuming it was coffee? Oh, yeah. Um, I had some repenting to do. Um, not just for giving, not giving thanks and glory to God for answered prayer and for success in my work, but what did it say of my comparative expectancy of God and my expectancy of Kathy? Um, in fact, because I'm not feeling uncomfortable enough just yet, let's push that just a little bit further. Did I believe in Kathy more than I believed in God? It was a very uncomfortable conversation. Let's remember to give God glory. Um, let's be expecting for him to, to work and listen. And, and thirdly, another way that at times that we can be unfaithful to God is, is sometimes we can put an earthly mindset first. What on earth do I mean by that? Um, I think we can see at times Christians having opposite opinions on a range of topics across society, even about theology, and claim to be the ones who are doing God's way. Um, even as an example, in my own country of origin, Christians on both sides of the political divide want polar opposite things for the sovereignty of Northern Ireland. They can't both be right. They might both be wrong, but they can't both be right. Often people have a strong allegiance to an ethos, political party, organisation or some other construct and cannot squeeze to view scripture through that lens. Or perhaps the mindset that can be because we're Christian then God will agree with my views and opinion. But thinking about it historically, Christians have even used scripture to affirm slave trade or to justify wars. Let's not put human arguments first and read scripture around that. Let's not take one or two verses out of context and ignore the other parts of scripture. Let's be open-handed with our opinions and let scripture speak to them and Holy Spirit sift them. Let's be really ready to listen to what God is saying. And let's look to honour God first, not man-made opinions. That's the story of Hosea chapter 1. It's not a happy one. And perhaps the, the challenge of it is one we're not used to hearing very often in church. And perhaps this morning so far it's been a little bit uncomfortable. Thankfully, 
praise God, the story doesn't end there. There is a chapter 2. There's a chapter 3. There's a chapter 14. And there's all the chapters between 3 and 14 as well, but those are the high points. And feel free to finish reading the story um, later on today. But let me really briefly summarize it for us. God calls Hosea to prophesy in chapter 2 about how he will bring Israel back to after a period of separation, and that the re-establishing of that covenant and that relationship would be like. And then in chapter 3, Hosea lives out that prophecy by going to find God, because it seems that she's left him for some time, he's been away from him, and at that stage had been living as a prostitute. And he has to pay to bring her back. And Hosea makes it clear to, to go what their married life was going to be like from now on, that she would be faithful to him. And chapter 2 finishes with these words. We're going to read just the last few verses of chapter 2. And as we read these, please bear in mind the, the meaning of the word. So I know we said Jezreel was a reminder about a massacre. Um, but the meaning of the word Jezreel means God's souls. And bear that in mind as we read these, these verses. God speaking. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. And those are beautiful words, aren't they? Um, the children's names are completely reimagined or changed even. And God re-establishes his covenant with his people. You are my people. And they will respond, you are our God. What Hosea is prophesying about, like so many of the prophets of that time, especially Jeremiah, was that Israel had worn out God's patience. So he will stop showing his love and let Israel be taken into exile in Babylon. And then after a time, he would bring Israel back to Jerusalem and would re-establish his covenant with her. And the prophecy also looks forward to Jesus, where God would come and buy back, not just Israel, but the whole world to himself, by showing his love through Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And he would make that new covenant with his people and build his kingdom. And God does that because God is a God who restores and redeems and loves to bring back people to himself. Second Timothy tells us that even when we are faithless, God will be faithful to us. Because God is love. When he asks us to walk closer with him, to remove sin, to give him the glory, it's because he loves us. Because he wants a deeper relationship with us. Because he wants to share more with us. If God's been prompting you about something this morning, remember it's not from a place of judgment or to guilt. It's not for that. It's because he loves you. Because he wants to bring you closer to him. And perhaps there's something in the way. Perhaps it's been holding you back. And God doesn't want anything holding you back in your relationship with him. He wants you to be free, to live with him, to serve him, to enjoy him. 
could read this article. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the faithfulness of Hosea as he left out such a difficult message. Thank you that you are a God who restores, who forgives, who redeems, who draws us closer to you. For that invitation that's open to us this morning, Heavenly Father, would you prompt us, would you encourage us, would you spur us to respond to you, to walk towards you, to take just one step closer to you, to whatever you call us to. Come Holy Spirit and have your way with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.